And uh, Abraham's not in the book of Acts. And uh, just Monday, uh, the Lord was working in my heart. And uh, Tuesday, the Lord was working in my heart, telling me it's not time for that one yet. I've got about 15 outlines already done for Abraham. We'll get to those one day. But what we're going to do, at least for the next month, is uh, have a series on prayer. And uh, look at what the, what, we, what the Bible has for us on that topic. Today's just an introduction about a church that prays. And uh, we're going to go through how to pray, um, what God does through prayer, all kinds of different things over the next several weeks. But uh, looking forward to tonight, Acts chapter 12. I was reminded of a, a joke I heard some time ago about this uh, woman that had lived in this neighborhood for a very long time. And she was a uh, somewhat of a... Um, she was not a very shy lady. She'd go down her porch every morning, and she would praise the Lord, and she would uh, pray out loud for all the neighborhood to hear of what she desired God to do in her life. And one day, this atheist moved next door, and every morning, he would sit out on his porch and watch cars drive by and read the paper, drink coffee. And he didn't take too kindly uh, to this woman praying to God every day. And she went out, and she did what she did every morning, and she lifted up the Lord in prayer and praised him. And he said, do you, what do you think you're doing? God isn't real. You're just praying and shouting these words out in the middle, out to nothing. It's not going to do anything for you. And she looked at him and she finished her prayer. And the next day she came out and she started to pray this prayer she'd, unlike she'd ever prayed before. And she asked God to, to bring her groceries because her, her pantry was beginning to become empty. And that man looked at her and said, God is not going to give you groceries. And she kept praying for groceries. And so after that lady went in that day, that atheist said, you know what, I'm going to show her that God is not going to help her. And he went to the grocery store and he bought all kinds of groceries and put them on her porch that night. And the next morning she looked at, on her porch just full of food and she started to praise the Lord and she praised God for giving her groceries. And in the middle of her prayer, that atheist said, hey, I showed you, God did not give you those groceries, I did. God is not real. And she looked at him. And she looked back up at the, at the heavens and she said, God, thank you for giving me these, these groceries and making the devil pay for them. <laughs> there is power in prayer. And we're going to look at what happens in a church that prays. We're going to read uh, almost the whole chapter here. Acts chapter 12. Let's stand together as we read. Begin reading there in verse 1. It says, Now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And when Herod would have brought him forth the same night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and the prisoners before the door kept the prison. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison, and he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands. And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself and bind on thy sandals. And so he did. And he saith unto him, Cast thy garments about thee and follow me. And he went out and followed him, and wist not that it was true which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. When they were past the first and the second ward, they came unto the iron gate that leadeth unto the city, which opened to them of his own accord. And they went out and passed on through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. And when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety 
that the Lord had sent his angel and had delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken named Rhoda. And when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. And they said unto her, Thou art mad. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then said they, Is it his angel? But Peter continued knocking, and when they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But he, beckoning unto them with the hand to hold their peace, declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he said, Go show these things unto James and to the brethren. And he departed and went into another place. Now as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers what was become of Peter. And when Herod had sought for him and found him not, he examined the keepers and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea in their abode. And Herod was highly displeased with them of Tyre and Sidon. And they came with one accord to him, and having made Blastus the king's chamberlain their friend, desired peace, because their country was nourished by the king's country. And upon a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat upon his throne and made an oration unto them. And the people gave a shout, saying, It is the voice of a God, not of a man. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him, because he gave not God the glory. And he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. But the word of God grew and multiplied, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry, and took with them John, whose surname was Mark. You know, look at the subject tonight in this chapter, when the church prays, when the church prays. Let's pray. Lord, we love you, God. We thank you for your word. Lord, for the privilege that it is, God, to be in church together tonight, and God, I pray that you would be with us, God. Lord, I pray that you help us, Lord, to understand the importance of prayer, Lord, in our life personally, in our church corporately. God, I pray that we would be, Lord, I pray that a church that prays, God, would be something that characterizes, Lord, this group of people. Lord, I pray that we would not take, uh, Lord, uh, take light of the fact of, the, of what's available through us through prayer. God, that every day of our life, we would look to you, God, for help, for encouragement, God, for strength that only comes from you, for, for, for your peace, God. And God, for you to work in great ways in our lives and in the lives of others, Lord, just because we speak to you on a regular basis. We'll be with us tonight, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. E.M. Bounds, on the thought of prayer, he said, What the church needs today is not more machinery or better, not new organizations or more novel methods, but men whom the Holy Ghost can use, men of prayer, men mighty in prayer. It's not about the things that we can do as a church, not about the things that we can bring in or the facilities that we can have. The most important thing is being people that are in communication with God, seeking his power each and every day of our life. And most of us tonight have experienced, hopefully at some point in your life, the power of prayer. Sensing the presence of God in your life, knowing he's listening to you, having a growing relationship and communication with him. And if you haven't experienced that, I want to encourage you to make a commitment this year to pray and to speak to God and for that to be an area that you grow in your life. 
But this, this passage, as you read this story, it's, it's quite a fascinating one. It's a pretty good read as you read this story. And all that happens in it, it reminds us that there is power, not just in personal prayer, but in corporate prayer. A group of people that prayed together and God did some amazing things in, for, in the next several days in their lives. And as we look at this text tonight, some truths will present themselves to us on what happens when the church prays. You know, before we get to the thought of prayer, what we need to understand, be reminded of tonight, is that problems will come. Problems will come. You know, we look here in Acts chapter 12, those first, five, those first you know, four or five verses are pretty dark, aren't they? <laughs> a lot of persecution. We, we, we've seen these disciples, we've seen these men be greatly used of God, and we think of all the happy times they had in the Gospels, all that they experienced, all the times they had with Jesus, all the great things that God did through them, and now we see one dead. We see another one in prison about to be killed. We see the attacks on them. James, the brother of John, one of, one of the inner circle of Jesus, is put to death by Herod. Peter in prison, sitting on death row. And, the, and then we think about the Jews. What, how many times in this chapter did we hear them speaking of the Jews and how they wanted all of them out of there? All these Jews that were still looking to the law and did not believe in Jesus, all the ones that were against what Christians were doing at that point, they hated the gospel they preached and they persecuted these people and they were just as guilty as Herod and the rest of the people were. And they, they wanted them gone because it gave them political advantage for them to be gone. Many attacks came. Then think about the uncertainty that they faced. You know, this church did not know what the future held. You think things... Not too long ago, we're great. Jesus is with them. And now they're on their own. They're doing what Jesus told them to do. And the leaders of of them are are gone. They're being killed. They're being persecuted. Think about the fear that they had. Think about these new Christians that had put their faith and trust in Jesus, but now they see all this happening. You think of the uncertainty, the concern for the future of the church. If they're killing our leaders, who's going to rise up and lead after them? You know, these people not too long ago, had left their Jewish roots where they were comfortable to follow Jesus. And if the leaders were being taken, who is next? Once they get those leaders out, they're going to look for anybody else in the church. They get persecuted. You think of all the thoughts, all the things that were going through their mind. Think about the conversations in the lobby after the service that they were having, wondering what they needed to do. Uncertainty. And then there were just definite enemies in their life. Herod. Herod's the one who had James killed. He arrested Peter. The community was against them. They, 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 these actions, the, the church being built, greatly displeased the Jews. And Herod and the Jews were responsible for the persecution. But they were really just the human instruments of what was happening. The one who organized this and, 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 and empowered this persecution was the devil himself. You know, Satan hated this church that was being established. The gospel that was being preached, the God that they worshipped, and he was out to do anything he could to destroy the church while it was still in its infancy, while it was still there at the start. He was going to do anything he could to, to cause it, to stop, to slow it down at any cost. But as we look at the church today, we understand the church is still under attack. The devil hates the church just as much today as he did then. He hates God just as much today as he did then. He hates the gospel just as much today as he did then. And we, as we're sitting here tonight together, as we're looking at the Word of God together, we must never get to a point where we think we are immune from the attacks of the devil. What, what did Job, the book of Job say? Man that is born is full of days and full of trouble, right? 
If you're here tonight, you're, you are a, a person in the flesh that God created that is going to have problems, going to have trials, going to have disappointments. You need to remember we're never exempt from those things. And as long as Satan is allowed to live and operate in this world, he will do everything he can to disturb your personal life, to disturb the church that God has established and the effectiveness of it. He hates our message. He hates our master. Now, he knows that if he, if he could just get into this church and turn one person against another person, he could shut down the work. He could slow it down. He knows that if he can fill us with fear over the attacks that may become or the persecution or the threats, whatever it may be, over the mockery that he can maybe stop us or slow us down from serving God. He knows that if he can fill us with fear over what may come in the future, not imminent threats, but we look at the news, we look at what's happening, we look at different people trying to be elected, different policies that have been proposed at, at different times. He thinks if he can fill us with fear over the future that maybe he can cause us just to be a little more careful and to, and to step back just a little bit to keep us from doing what it is that God has instructed us to do. You know, we are not exempt from problems. There's nobody in here that's exempt from temptation. There's nobody in here that's, that's done sinning in your life. There's nobody in here that's exempt from persecution or mockery. There's nobody in here that is, 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 is going to go the rest of their life without facing an enemy of the gospel that's going to go without facing opposition. You know, these are things that we cannot overcome on our own. We need to realize this church had problems, and in our life, problems will come. But the second thing we see is prayer is the option. Prayer is the option. Look there at verse 5. But Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. You know, last month, as I spoke to you out of Philippians chapter 4, I mentioned the, the thought that praise needs to be our first option, our first resource. Not getting on the phone to call somebody, asking what they do in the situation you're in. Not, not going for another opinion at the doctor. Not trying to look at your bank account and try to make, figure out how you can make things work. Prayer needs to be our first option. If you look there at verse 5, think of Peter. Peter is, is my favorite disciple. One of my favorite Bible characters. And as I look at Peter, we see this man that had boldness. We see a real man that made mistakes. We see this fisherman, a little rough around the edges. But God used him to do some great things. And God used him to see thousands of people come to Christ in one day. And I think of all the things that Peter did. And we think of what he meant to the church. You know, as these people assembled and as Peter entered the room, you think, you think he caught, brought some attention? Yeah. You think if Peter was there, they wanted to hear what God would use him to say? Yes. You think they would ask him what, for some advice, for some wisdom? He walked with Jesus all that time. He, he, did, he did some things that so many others hadn't. He's the one that walked on water. And, the, and now Peter is in prison. Looks like the same thing is going to happen to him that just happened to James. says, Peter, therefore, was kept in prison. That's a sad sentence, isn't it? But prayer was made without ceasing of the church. We see this big problem, and then we see a conjunction bringing a, something else. Times were bad, 
but they prayed. That's the answer. The situation looked desperate, but. Looks as though Peter might be put to death, but. It looks as though the church might be destroyed and before it can carry the gospel to the world as they've been commissioned to do, but. What happened here? In earthly eyes, this this didn't look good. In the face of overwhelming problems, the church did the only thing it should have done. It called on God. These people did not run and hide. They didn't try to take anything into their own hands. They went to God. And what do we see about this prayer they prayed? It was no doubt a passionate prayer. It says they made this prayer without ceasing. We understand as we look in 2 Thessalonians chapter 5, it says pray without ceasing. There needs to be continual prayer. This word ceasing we find here is somewhat similar to that. It means to stretch forth. It's this medical term that would be used about, that refers to a stretched ligament or pulled muscle. It means going beyond the boundaries. It means giving it everything that you have and these Christians had a great need they had a great problem and they didn't just pray they poured their hearts out to God that's the kind of praying that we as Christians need to have in our life you know the promise of the promise of God that he's given us the book of James he says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much the passionate prayer the energetic prayer of a righteous man availeth much these people were just pouring their hearts out to God, not just standing there and saying a few words. They were passionately asking God for something. And I, I think about this, this trip that we've had. I think about just raising kids. My kids often passionately ask me for something. They get hungry. They want to stop to use the bathroom on the trip. They want, they, they want this new toy. They want a new dress, whatever it may be. They keep asking. They want it bad. They are passionate in, in asking. How often do we go to God like that? It was passionate. It was faithful. This was, this was no doubt a prayer of faith, and their, praise, their prayers, it says, were made to God. You say, Pastor, isn't that what prayers are supposed to be made to? Yes. It's an obvious thing. But I can think of many times in my life, and I, I think if you're honest with yourself, you can think of many times in your life when it seems like our prayers are designed to be heard by other people. We're designed for us to just encourage ourselves a little bit, something we say that may make us feel good. Often, we're not truly intending to go to our Father through Jesus Christ in prayer. Our prayers can be really just a bunch of words. This congregation was joining together and and reaching up as, as they tried their hardest to just touch God for their church and for Peter. And when we pray, we need to pray to God in faith. You know, faith is the essential ingredient that marks the difference between answered and unanswered prayers. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, but without faith it is what? Impossible to please him. For he that, come, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of them that what? Diligently seek him. Does that sound passionate to you? Matthew chapter 21, verse 22, Jesus said, And all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall, what? Receive. 1 John chapter 5, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. I want to remind you tonight that when we pray, we are, we are praying to our Father. The one that adopted you as his son or his daughter. 
And he delights in hearing and answering the prayers of his children. Luke chapter 12, Jesus said these words. He says, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Makes God happy to meet our needs. Just as a loving father for his children, our God wants to help you. Our God wants to give you what you need. Our God wants to give you the blessings in your life. Are we going to him passionately tonight? Are we going to him, praying to him, understanding that he is the one that can meet our expectations and exceed them? It's not just passionate, not just a prayer of faith. It was a specific prayer. It says, prayer was made for him, for Peter. Peter was the focus of the prayer meeting. They came together to pray for a specific purpose. It wasn't a generalized prayer. It wasn't a uh, memorized, you know, four or five sentences that they prayed, something that sounded good, something they prayed their whole life. It was a specific prayer asking for a specific need for God to intervene for them. Sought God's power. For Peter. You know, when we ask God for specific needs, he hears us, he answers us, and it glorifies him. We need to be specific. I can think back, it would have been, I think, 20 years ago, this last Christmas. All my friends had an Xbox. I can't believe the Xbox has been out over 20 years at this point. All my friends had an Xbox. And I wanted one. I was a pastor's son, my dad didn't make a lot of money, and I... I remember really wanting it. It was one of those things I would ask my parents for things, and I usually I didn't expect it to happen unless I was really good. I earned it in some way. And I remember really wanting this Xbox, and I went to my parents and asked them. And usually if it was something that was nonsense, my dad would just laugh at me. That's how it would always go. He'd, he'd laugh it off and just try to make fun of me a little bit, and he'd move on. It was just the way we interacted with each other. And that's how this went. I asked him for an Xbox, and he laughed. Asked him again. Make, drop a few hints here and there. I remember Christmas morning, I, you know, I didn't think I was getting it, but I knew there was a chance, and I remember present after present came, and no Xbox. And actually, my parents, I, there was a box that I opened about this big, and I opened, I unwrapped it, and it was a cardboard box, and they wrote a big X on it. Not only didn't give me the Xbox, but they drew an X on a box to make fun of me. I'm trying to be a good son, I, I kind of act like I thought it was funny too, and even though I was just humiliated and discouraged and trodden down, beaten. Christmas morning was over and we're, you know, we're going through our presents and thanking mom and dad for everything. And my dad left the room for a minute and he came back around the corner with another present for me and it was an Xbox. It was a big present. One I really didn't think I would get. But I asked for it and I asked for it I asked for it, and I got it. You know, there's many blessings in your life, many answers to prayer in your life that you don't have, and it's because you haven't asked for it. There's strength that you need right now that you don't have. Not because you can't have it, probably because you haven't asked for it. There's a need that you may be facing or a need you see in somebody else's life that you love and you care about that hasn't happened yet. And then there's a good chance it might be because you haven't asked for it. Are your prayers specific prayers? 
It's also a unified prayer. I, l- I love thinking about this group of people. Can you imagine what they were feeling? They just found out James had been murdered. Peter's next. He's been taken. They think about the leaders of their church, and they're trying to think maybe in their flesh a little bit, thinking what they can do to protect them, protect their families. And what they did was they unified together as a group of people and met with God as a group. It was a unified prayer. This small church touched heaven for another Christian that they loved. And I believe that there's a little bit extra power in this prayer because of the unity that was there. You know, we pray a lot. So often we fail to pray for each other. You know, we pray for our needs. We pray for our burdens. We pray for the things we're dealing with. But how often do we skip over the rest? How often do we skip over people we know are in need or people that we know that maybe God has even laid on our heart or maybe even just your family? How often do we not pray for those that we should be praying for? And, you know, before too long here in a couple of weeks, we're going to have a, a printed out prayer sheet every week for you, something we can look at together and update and, and all those things. That's something we need, something that will be good. We're going to have that so we can pray for each other. You know, right now there's people in our church family who are facing difficulties. Some of them we know about, some of them we don't. We should be touching heaven for them. You know, there's, there's, other, there's other people that we may know in our life that are wayward, that are far from God. We should be going to God on their behalf. Think about the visitors that we may be working on, people that we are really trying to target for the Lord, people we've given tracts to, people we haven't given tracts to, but maybe the Lord's laid on our heart. We need to be praying for those people. Just, just make a goal this week to pray for one person that is not in church, that is not saved. Pray for God to work in their heart and continue to pray and passionately go to God until they come to him. There's other people who are struggling with needs, other people that are struggling with burdens, problems, temptations. We should be approaching God on their behalf. I think right now if you took just a few seconds to think about a person that you should be praying for, it's going to come to your mind pretty quickly. Those people need you to pray for them. Prayer is the only option. We understand from this passage problems are going to come. We, we see, secondly, prayer is the only option. Then we see the answer. God's power is sufficient. God's power is sufficient. I'm thankful for the end of Luke chapter 2 and that message I was able to share with you that had a huge impact on my life there don't journey without Jesus now I almost titled it walking without Jesus they want to be too cheesy we know the song we know the phrase walking with Jesus think about Enoch and possibly where that that term came from and how Enoch walked with God Abraham walked with God how's your walk tonight Sunday morning, we, we, we just thought of the, the fact of not going through a single day of your life without Jesus. Have you done that this week? Have you started your day in prayer with him? Have you, have you done things on your own or have you done things with him and his power with you? And as we think about our walk and we think about our life as a Christian, often our walk is more like a crawl. There's a lack of passion for our Savior. There's a lack of passion for his power. There's a lack of passion for 
daily victory. A lack of power that could shake the world for Christ that is available to us that we don't have because we aren't praying as we should. You know, Billy Sunday is one of the great revivalists of the last couple hundred years. And if you never read, read his biography, read about him, I encourage you to look that up. He was a baseball player that was a drunkard, went, came to Christ, and many people came to the Lord because of uh, his work for the Lord. But he said this, He that is a stranger to prayer is a stranger to power. It's available. But if we're not praying, we can't expect his power to be in our life. We look at this group of people praying to God passionately for Peter and for for God to do something in his life. And as we read that story, we saw that the prayer was answered. We looked there in verse 6, and when Herod would have brought him forth the same night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and the keepers before the door kept the prison. All these, all these soldiers there surrounding him, two chains binding him. It says, Behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him and a light shined in the prison and he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly, and his chains fell off from his hands. And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself and bind on thy sandals. Get your shoes on. And it says that he saith unto him, Cast thy garment about thee and follow me. And he went out and followed him. Soldiers weren't there. He was free. When the church prayed, God heard and God answered. Peter was delivered in in this tremendous, miraculous way and God saved him because the church prayed. I wonder what God could do with this group of people if we were just a church that prayed together as we should. We were a church that just went to God passionately, seeking his help each and every day. I wonder who might be saved. I wonder what he might do in in our personal lives. I wonder what he might do to bless our church. And I I believe tonight that God is still the God of miracles. And he's able, as I shared with you Sunday, to do much more than we have ever seen him do. And the limits of of his power have not been witnessed. What does it say? Exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. This prayer was answered in a great way, and when Peter was released from prison, he went to the house where the church was meeting. Imagine being in there. Somebody's at the door and no volunteer, so Rhoda ends up having to go to the door, and she answers, and, and look who it was. It was Peter, the one they were praying for. And you think she kind of opens, she looks, she sees him, maybe blinks a little bit. She didn't believe it for a second, but, you know, she went and she told people that the Peter's at the door. They didn't believe her. They thought it was an angel. Jewish traditions, they thought that when a person was dead, a guardian angel in that person's form would at times show up and do things. They thought maybe the one that looked like Peter was, was, was Peter's angel, possibly. You know, Warren Wearsby had said something funny on, on this thought. He said, God could get Peter out of prison, but Peter couldn't get himself into a prayer meeting. These people were confused. They doubted what was going on. But when they investigated, they discovered it was Peter. And what does it say? They were astonished. Astonished. But isn't that what they were praying for? You say, hey, you were were going to God in a prayer of faith, asking God to do this. Peter's there, and you're surprised? They've been praying for this. They were surprised Because they're just like us. (laughs) 
You know, on our best day, on our day most full of faith, there's still a lack of faith. Now, praise God that, that, that my faith does not have to be perfect. It just has to be exercised. Look at, look at Mark chapter 9. Let's look at Mark chapter 9 together. Hold your place here in Acts, but look at Mark 9. There's a father here that took his son to Jesus, wanting the demons cast out of him. And he believed that God could do it. He believed that Jesus could do it, but he still had doubt. We look here at Mark chapter 9, verse 17. It says, And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit, and wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him. And he foameth, and he gnasheth with his teeth, and teeth, and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. He answereth him and saith, O faithless generation, how shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And they brought him unto him, and when he saw him straightway, the spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. And he asked his father, How long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, Of a child, and oft times it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters and to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou, what? Mine unbelief. There was some faith. He wasn't full of faith. And when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him, and he was as one dead, insomuch that many said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. That man believed Jesus could do something, but there was still doubt. And what did God do? He answered. I think a lot of times we're, we're like that, Father. You know, in the Matthew account, as Jesus was finishing this, he said, If ye have faith as a grain of mustard seeds, ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. A little bit of faith. A little bit of faith, and look what God can do. No other man could, was able to help this. Not even the disciples were able to help that man. That little bit of faith in Jesus. You know, as we live our life as people of prayer with a little bit of faith, we can be astonished just like this, this church was. You know, God's sovereignty was demonstrated. Not only did God deliver Peter from prison, but this passage closes with God giving his church even more evidence that he is sovereign over everything that church was ever going to face. Look what happened in verse 20. God was sovereign over the opposition, and Herod was highly displeased with him of Tyre and Sidon, and they came with one accord to him, having made blasts to the king's chamberlain and their friend, desired peace because their country was nourished by the king's country. He wanted the glory. They were calling him a god. And then what happened? Verse 23, and immediately the angel of the Lord smote him because he gave not the glory. He didn't just kill him. 
but gave him one of the most horrible deaths anybody could ever experience. I, I, I study this, trying to figure out the sequence of all this happening, and what everybody thinks is what the Bible says, the worms just started crawling out of him as he died. Brutal. It's a powerful God. This was a lesson to that church. It's a lesson to this church tonight to leave our enemies in the hands of God. Leave the opposition to God. What, what does the Bible tell us? God was greater than anyone or anything they could ever face. What, is, what does it say? Greater is he that is what? In you than he that is in the world. Think of the greatest problem, the greatest situation, the, the most difficult circumstance you can find yourself in that you cannot overcome, and you may be one, in one of those tonight, God's greater. You know, our duty is to serve God faithfully and leave the opposition to him. And if we could ever adopt a mindset, I'd like to adopt the mindset of David. You think of David when he approached Goliath, excuse me. And what did David say when he was approaching the, the giant there? Whose battle was it? All these other men decided not to go after Goliath, and David decided to, but it wasn't David's battle. What did David say? The battle is the Lord's. It's exactly what we need to do each and every day of our life. Whatever opposition, whatever trial, whatever temptation, whatever difficult circumstance, it's not your battle, it's God's battle. Whatever opposition may come in your life, whatever uh, feelings you may, you may feel from time to time, or whatever uh, doubts the devil may try to bring, the battle is not your battle, the battle is the Lord's. Take it to him. Do what is right and leave the rest to God. Now, I love verse 24. Not only did he get rid of the enemies, but that church grew. God was sovereign over the opposition, and God was sovereign over the outreach. But the word of God grew and what? Multiplied. This early church, as any people would ever be, was worried about its survival. Their leaders were being taken. They prayed. God took care of that and caused them to grow. They saw the Lord expand their church in ways they never imagined would happen. And, and God blessed the church. He judged their enemies. You know what lesson they learned in this? Not only does God answer prayer, but they were not responsible for the success of their ministry. They were just responsible to be found faithful in what God had told them to do. The success of this church does not rest on my shoulders. It doesn't rest on your shoulders. The success of this church is up to God. And our duty is to be found faithful and to call on him. And as we yield to him and as we go to him in prayer on our behalf, on the behalves of others, on the behalf of this church, on the behalves of the lost, we can count on him to do what is best and what is right and what brings him the most glory. I encourage you tonight, we need to be able to get a hold of God. We need, we need to be people of prayer. And the only way that is going to happen 
is for us to come together like this early church and make seeking God, make prayer a priority. You know, the Bible tells us, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. If there's sin in your life, if there's a problem with you and another brother, if there's something in your life that is hindering your relationship with God, your prayers are going to fall short. Take care of that tonight. We need to seek God as a family. We need to call on him by faith. We need to look beyond our own needs and lift up oh, those around us that are in need as well. And we need, when the problems come, we need to pray through them until we see God move. God works through a church that prays. So let's pray together and see what happens. Every head bowed, every eye closed.